0: I hope you feel blessed because of that as well. That's that's just good stuff this morning. I am just I am so blessed this morning to have uh, to have my friend Callie in church this morning. Uh, it, it's been. Um, well, wow, a number of years. I was her youth pastor for a couple of years. You were a sophomore, right? Yeah, about about that time, and now she's a young professional out there and living in Raleigh, and, and I'm, I'm so proud of you and glad you're here this morning. Now, I'm the senior pastor now, so there's no, like, pizza afterwards or, you know, four-way soccer, and uh, there won't be any um, games with burping involved and stuff like that, so we're a little bit... A little bit more mature. I know, some of you are good. I'm glad to hear that disappointment. Uh, maybe next week, huh? Maybe next week. We'll see. We'll see about that. Um, hey, first, I want to tell you guys this morning, I, I, I want to say that I hope this Sunday morning experience is a positive one for you and your family. I know that our staff works really hard every week to create the best environment possible, really to usher you into God's presence, and then we just want God to take over from there and do his work. We're not God, and we don't want to assume the role. But a second thing I want to tell you before we get going here is I really think there is a reason that you're here today. I, I truly believe it. God has this purpose and meaning for your life, and I really believe he led you here. And if you're like me, sometimes I sit and I hear messages, and I think, oh, if only so-and-so had been here to hear that. I think this morning... That God has something to share with you about this purpose that maybe you'll discover, or at very least uh, be empowered with the tools that would help you discover this as well. You see, I think there's so many people that go through life and they never discover their purpose. Uh, they're no, they know they were here for a meaning and, and they know they were here to make some difference in some way, but they just haven't figured out what that is. And I'll be honest with you, I don't want to make that mistake in my life. And I don't want you to make that mistake as well. And so that's what we're going to walk through this morning. So if you got in here and you didn't happen to get some uh, sermon notes, uh, slip up your hand. R- Richard will run some out to you, and uh, we want to make sure you're able to track through this. Now, I want to uh, give you a heads up that there's some writing in the blanks that you'll have to do uh, as well as we filled out. I, I did not want to uh, hand you... Uh, a handout here that was about four pages long. I thought you would revolt and run to the parking lot. And so you might have to do your own writing in the blanks, uh, some extra stuff that we'll talk about this morning. Well, we're finishing up this series. In fact, uh, we'll be finishing this series entirely next week with kind of the grand finale teaching. It's kind of like, you know, at the end of the fireworks show where all the things go boom, 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 uh, really bigger and louder than what you had just heard. That'll kind of be like next week's message and teaching about the book of Acts uh, without the actual fire because they frown upon that here uh, in the school. But uh, we're going to finish up our teaching through the book of Acts, and, and that's really what we've been doing, and we've called it Unleashed. And it is about the lifestyles of the early believers and how radically different they were. And because of this, I mean, they literally turned their world right side up in just a very short period of time. And that's, that's what we've been walking through. We're all the way up to Acts chapter 20 now. And if you've missed any of the messages in this series, we've not hit every single chapter. You can do that on your own. But we've walked through systematically the book. You can go online at, at our and you can just catch up and get on track with uh, where we're at up till now and doing that before the grand finale next week. So sound good, John? Okay. Good, good. So the Apostle Paul, he's been very involved in what we've been teaching about up till now. In fact, most of our teaching over the last several weeks has been about Paul and what he's been doing. And remember, Paul, he is the persecutor of Christians when this book opens, and then he becomes a Christian. Amazing story. Definitely a guy that if he persecuted and then became, we want to know a little bit about what happened and then what happened after that. And that's what we've been walking through. Now, he's been in Ephesus for about 18 months now. He's been teaching. That's a long period of time for Paul to, be, to stick around and to teach. But he's been doing this in the town of Ephesus. In fact, the book of Ephesians that you know in your Bible is written to the church at Ephesus. And now he's kind of coming to the end of his ministry work. Not everybody understands that, but he knows that because he's about to depart and go back to Jerusalem. The Roman Empire was not too happy with Paul because everywhere he went that he would kick up dust, basically, and people would argue and get in in fights and stuff over whether Jesus was the Christ or not. And so the Roman Empire, who really loved peace, they didn't like Paul. So he knew going back to Jerusalem, going back to the center here of uh, of where the Roman Empire was setting up shop down in this area, that probably pretty good chance he was going to be arrested and taken into custody. So he knew it was coming to an end, but He was heading to Jerusalem, and this is where we pick this story up. And I think this is as good a time as any for Paul to really evaluate his purpose, to look back on what he's done, especially in his 18 months in Ephesus, and to really ask the question, what have I done, what did we accomplish, and what do I have now to hand off? To those that I'm leaving. That is all he's doing in this passage this morning that we're working through. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 17 actually, so not at the beginning of the, the chapter, we're going to start in 17, we're going to pick it up from there, and we're going to kind of walk through the end of this chapter, and what Paul is sharing with uh, the elders of the church is, is what he's doing here. So Acts chapter 17, did I give you enough time to get there? He said, yes, Tom, you gave me enough time to turn my head to the screen. (laughs) So, all right. But when he landed in Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he, he, he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I've endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Gentiles alike. Excuse me, Jews and Greeks alike, as it writes here. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, I remember last week we talked about kind of the coming to the end of preaching to the Jews and and focusing his full-time effort into sharing Jesus Christ with the non-Jews, with the Gentiles. And that's what he's talking about here. You see, Paul begins basically to tell these elders at Ephesus, Ephesus excuse me, that here is what I've done up till now. Here was my purpose in coming to you. And you see, I, I think that when Paul's talking about this, there's some questions that come to mind in this passage that we have to deal with when we're talking about our own purpose and when we're evaluating our own purpose in life. Now, I played college baseball, some of you know that. I wasn't like an off the charts incredible player. Uh, every time I batted, I um, this may comes as a shock. I didn't hit the ball out of the ballpark every time. I batted. I know you look at my physique and you go, "Wow, how could he not hit the ball out of the ballpark each time?" But I didn't. Um, In fact, I was more of a speedster guy who like needed to pound the ball into the ground and just run as fast as I could. And so when I got up to to bat, uh, remember in baseball, if you score more runs than the other team, you win. So that's simple. All right. So if I can't get on base. then my team can't score me so that was all I thought anyway anyhow my purpose was to get on base Uh, I like to stand close to the plate because maybe I would get hit by a pitch and I got on base alright I could chop the ball on the ground and I could run at the time I could run pretty fast and so uh, anything I could do my purpose was just get on base I didn't really care about my batting average Well, that's not entirely true everybody does but I wanted to get on base that was significant to me why that was my purpose because the goal was to win the game and score the run. That's what we're talking about. What's your purpose? What is your purpose? Paul is starting to tell his purpose. What is yours? Here's some questions I think we need to ask when we're starting to evaluate our purpose. Here's number one. Uh, where did you come from? Now, not what city did you come from when I grew up in Atlanta, that, that kind of thing. That's all we're talking about. Have you ever had somebody uh, come to your door, uh, your house or your apartment, and they knock, and they're, they're basically they've, they've come because they have something to sell you? Uh, do you enjoy that when, when that happens? You like that a lot? And what's the first thing you think of when the knock comes on the door? You think, be very still and quiet. Nobody make a sound, and maybe they'll go away. Um, if you were to answer the door, I think the first thought you would, you would ask is, what is your motive? What are you here for? Are you selling me something? Are you like a con artist here? I, are you here to do something good for me and give me a good product? Or are you kind of casing my place for a, you know, a future uh, comeback here when I'm not home? What is your motive? What's your purpose? What are you here for? Motives are very, very important. They're really important because motives answer why we do what we do. If you look at what you do over the course of the week, over the course of a month, Your motives really dictate why you did those things. Paul was a preacher of the gospel. He had a lot of people questioning his motives, and so that's why he said in what we just read, I didn't come here with wrong motives. I I didn't come here with selfish motives. I didn't come here to gain money or to gain fame. He said, my motive is that I serve with humility, not for myself. That was his purpose. That was his motive in what he was doing. Let me give you an example. Every week you go to the store, right, and you buy food items that you put on the shelf at your house so that you can eat throughout the week, right? It's a necessity, right? You need to do that. I have two teenage boys now. It's actually driving me crazy to go to the store and to purchase uh, food because it it stays on the shelf a matter of minutes now uh, when I shop. But nonetheless, we have to do it, right? We go to the store and we shop. It's a necessity. But did you know that there is a group of people at this church... Who every week they buy food they buy food off of a list for people from that live 40 minutes away in Madison and Maiden. every week they take a little a food list that is actually on our back table here and they look at those items and they shop for those items and then they bring it to the church and we collect it and then it goes up and once a month there's a food, food excuse me distribution. And they give the families in need uh, those food items and and help them in whatever way they can. What is their motive here? They don't know these people. They live 40 minutes away. They don't rub shoulders with these people. I think it's just to serve through humility. And I wonder this. I wonder if many of us this morning, you miss the mark in your purpose in life simply because you don't walk in service to others. If you're lost on the whole purpose thing, simply because you haven't thought about the lens that you're viewing things through. Now, I I know how you could start this week. One way, you could walk right back to that table afterwards and grab one of those food lists or sign up for a food item, and you could start purchasing this week. Uh, The need is pretty great. I mean, I wonder if, like, in a group this size, even 30 people would say, like, I'll do that. I haven't been doing that. It needs to be done. I'll, I'll take care of it and do it this week. It's a great way to start. It's not the only way, but it's a great way. Now, what's our motive? Tom, are you trying to get these people in church so we can kind of pad our numbers here? Well, they live 40 minutes away. There's not much hope in getting them down. Many of them don't have transportation anyway. It's simply an opportunity to serve in humility. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's his motive behind what he's doing. And I wonder life, what's your motive? Maybe you've never even thought about what your motive might be. Why are you here in the first place? Secondly, I think we have to ask ourselves, what's your message? Paul's life message was very clear. He said, you need to change your life direction. He often says you must turn to God in repentance and have faith in Jesus Christ. That's his message. He shares it everywhere he goes. Now, um, think about this. If you if I have to turn to God, that means I probably have to turn away from something. That's really the definition of repentance. It's a full about face where we turn and we look the opposite direction. See, sometimes I think we get caught up in the I'm sorry, and we we go and we, we run into this thing we're doing or this sin or this thing that's causing destruction in our life, and we just keep saying, oh, I'm sorry, and we keep going. Oh, whew, I'm sorry, that's dumb, and we keep going. Paul kept preaching, his message was repentance. Just turn around. Put your focus on something entirely different, your focus on Jesus Christ, and the result will pretty, be pretty different as well. I wonder, what's the message your life is telling? Don't be too quick to say, I don't really have a message that I'm telling. Your life is telling some message. Some message is being shared. I wonder, is it the one you want it to be sharing? Let's move on. Uh, there was this young hotshot pilot, and he's flying a commercial jetliner, and he's flying into this airport for the first time at night, and wanting to kind of make a name for himself, and he radioed the tower, and instead of properly identifying himself like they're supposed to, he just simply said, Guess who? And this very seasoned, kind of wise tower control guy, as he's hearing this, I don't know, maybe he's been around the block, heard all kinds of things, he just very calmly he reached over, pushed a couple of buttons which turned off all of the runway lights. And he responded back, guess where? <laughs> and that's the second question I think we have to ask ourselves when we're evaluating our purpose is, where are you today? Where are you today? Have you ever thought, man, where am I? Or how did I get where I'm at right now? And we start to evaluate where we're at today. What's going on in your life right now? What's your present situation Let me ask you a couple questions. Are you afraid to die? You've probably been asked that a few times in your life for different things. Here's a harder question, I think, to really answer. Are you afraid to really live? To really grasp what Christ has to offer and live the way he's calling us to live? Take a look at verse 22 in Paul's situation. Here's what he says. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me. Now, why would he go to Jerusalem? He just liked the scenery there. The weather was nice. Now remember, Paul was on a mission. Now he was sharing the gospel everywhere he went. But the reason he was sent out was to collect from the churches for the widows and the orphans back in Jerusalem. And so as he was going around and he now had this collection, well, he needed to deliver it to Jerusalem. And so he said, no, I'm going to do that. I'm not handing this off. That was my task. It was given to me. I'm going to go fulfill my task. That's why he's headed back to Jerusalem. It takes a lot of faith. I'm going there. I don't know what's going to happen. Except that the Holy Spirit tells me, check this out, in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. I don't know about you, but most of us would say, well, I'm not going there then. If jail and, and bad stuff happens, I'm not going. Verse 24, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Where are you in life today? Do you have, like Paul is expressing here, any sense of urgency in your life, in your life mission and what you're called to do? Or does it look more like complacency? Do you feel like you have a lot of time left or just uh, a little bit of time left? Paul said, I'm headed for Jerusalem, danger and death lie ahead, time is short, and urgency then changes things. Urgency doesn't always mean time, it means significance as well. And so for Paul, it was so significant to speak his message and to do what he was called to do, that he had that sense of urgency. I got to do it, I have to do it now. It's why they call it the urgent care center. You know, get me in, get me taken care of right now check out this question. If you knew that you had one month to live, right, would it be a bit different than if you knew you had 10 years to live? Probably so, right? Probably so, and we might live differently. Paul knew his time was running out, and, and he possibly, this could have been the last message he could even speak to these elders, and he says, look, it's urgent, and we got to understand what's going on. Secondly, he talks about this, do you have a sense of purpose? A sense of purpose. That's even just identifying that there's such a thing as having purpose in your life. What's Paul's purpose? He said, I've got to finish the work I started out to do. I've got to complete the mission. I've got to tell everyone about Jesus Christ. Notice how he puts those together. It's so clear that the mission he was on was telling people about Jesus Christ. Now, don't, don't miss out. Paul had to earn a living, too. We learned he was a tent maker. Last week we talked about uh, somehow he became full-time in this preaching. Paul had to work. Paul had to find food. He had to find housing. He had to do all these things that we have to do. Yet he still identified his mission. His mission and his focus was to tell people about Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've even asked yourself that question. What is my purpose in life? Is it to make money? Or is your purpose to make money in order to make a difference in the lives of other people. Maybe it's to build kind of your own success, or maybe it's to be more significant in the lives of other people. Maybe as a believer, is it building your own kingdom, or do you say, no, it's about building God's kingdom? But have you ever just asked yourself, what is indeed my purpose? My purpose, I'm going to tell you, is very, very clear to me. It's, I want to go to heaven, and I want to take as many people with me as possible. It's as simple as that. That's my purpose. My family's purpose is very clear to me as well, to be a blessing so people will come to know Jesus. That's a purpose of the Raven family, I believe. Have you identified yours? Have you asked yourself that question? It's so important if we're going to evaluate our purpose. Thirdly, uh, do you have a sense of gratitude? This is so significant, I think, as we're talking about this here. I think the opposite of gratitude is entitlement. Would you agree with that? Paul doesn't necessarily talk about that here. It's where you basically, instead of saying thank you, you say you, know, you owe me. Is kind of the uh, the attitude. You see, Paul's life was changed. Paul was this guy who was going out and arresting Christians and putting them into prison. When he was asked, he would vote for the death penalty for these Christians. That was his job. What happens? On the road to Damascus, he is blinded by this light. We know it's the glorified Christ. And Jesus speaks into his life and says, look, you've got to change what you're doing. And we find that Paul's life direction dramatically changes. And because of that, Paul is forever grateful. In fact, we find several times in his writings, in the letters that follow the book of Acts, that Paul speaks about his gratitude, his thankfulness, and his praise to God because of what he's done in his life. From now on, Paul says over and over, my life is totally yours. That's why he can say in his letter to the Philippians, he says this, For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Elders, he's saying, look, I'm headed to Jerusalem. If I'm put in prison and they kill me, I'm okay with that. That's good. And if I keep on living, I'm okay with that. That's good, too, because it gives me more time to keep sharing Jesus. And I think it's different, difficult for us sometimes as American Christians to be grateful. Why? Because most of the time we have lived in such freedom and we've had such liberty to do what we want to do that at many times this lack of fight for our faith has even given way to a less potent faith. It doesn't have to, but it has in many of us many times, at least on a macro level. And so church... We need to be reminded this morning, we've got so much to be grateful for. You've been saved by the work of Jesus Christ in your life. I mean, think about it. Many of you remember what your life used to be like and what Jesus Christ did when he came into your life and how he's built you and developed you. And I can think of one couple here. I can think about what your marriage used to be like. And when you surrendered your life to Christ, both of you, I remember it. What it looks like now, and it's pretty incredible. We have so much to be grateful for. You've been given this right relationship with God. You have this church that you can come and worship in, and you can serve other people through, and you can be built up and have community in. You're provided for, I mean, food and clothing, et cetera. And for the most part, you have those things on a weekly basis. So, church, don't forget to let God hear your gratitude as well. Here's a third question, though. Uh, I think we have to ask if we're evaluating our purpose in life, and it's this. It's so significant. Where are you going? Where are you headed in life? When you were in high school, you did all these kind of things that talked about what do you want to be in life, where are you headed in life, what's your five-year plan, what's your 10-year goal. I remember at 18, them asking, what's your 10-year plan at 28? When I got to 28, I was like, I have no clue. What, what am I doing? I mean, I knew it was in ministry, but I wasn't quite sure where I was going and what I was doing within that. Where are you going? Where are you headed in life? It doesn't get... Uh, you don't really do that again until you get somewhere, I don't know, 40, 45 years old, and you start to think about what you've done with your life up till then, that you start to say, where really am I headed? What really am I doing? Where am I going? Where are you headed in life? You might say, oh, Tom, well, I'm young. I don't really have to be headed anywhere yet, because I'm young. Well, did you know that that's just like a made-up thing that it's kind of a made-up thought that was introduced kind of in the movies somewhere in the 60s and it's just become part of our culture that you're young you don't have to think about these things it's just a total created mindset how do you make a difference how are you going to make a difference in your life from here on out parents how do you transfer your values into the life of your kids as well these are all things asking where are we going now listen, um, I love sports, you know that, right? But can I tell you the most boring sporting event that you're ever going to go to? Um, yeah, and I was a youth pastor for 16 years, so I said a lot of these sporting events, right? So uh, I don't normally like to offend anyone by saying something is the worst, but so be it. All right? Track and field meat is the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> I would go and I would sit to watch one teen at a track and field meet. They last about 18 hours, it seems like. The student I'm going to watch, they would, they would do their thing for like 30 seconds three different times. They're always spread apart by about two hours. It's just miserable. And apparently every track meet is done in 95 degree heat as well. Um, they don't even do them if it's less than 95 degrees. The worst. But I learned something going to these horrible events. Um, the team that has the fastest runner doesn 't always win the relay race. did you know that because there 's an interesting thing that happens when one runner goes to the next runner. They have to hand off this silly little stick and before they keep running this baton and they keep dropping it it 's amazing how many times they dropped it. In fact, I watched one race one time where one team finished the race one team finished the others had dropped the baton. Um, now, I could get into that if I knew the other teams were going to drop it what 's the point? Uh, it takes a lot to hand off. It takes a lot to give to the next poor and to pass on our values. When we talk about where we're going and what our purpose is, it takes a lot to invest in somebody else and it doesn't just happen because things might be rolling along at our present pace. Paul's, here's what Paul is saying. Elders, look, I have spent 18 months investing my life here and I'm headed out and I'm leaving you. So he says, I want to I make you aware of some important things that I learned along the way. And Paul says to these elders at the church of Ephesus, and it's really the same words I think we need to hear today. Pick it up in verse 28. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth. In order to draw a following, watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. So, what are the, these danger signs? These are important when you're evaluating your purpose because these dangers can creep into your own life as well. The first one's this he says the, the first danger comes from outsiders. The word picture here is a wolf, a vicious wolf is what he says. Sounds pretty deadly, it, it is. It's the people outside who might want to come in and destroy what God is doing in your lives. It's people who don't understand. They have no concept of what God does and how God transforms somebody. And they seek often to come in and to destroy. Sometimes this is done re- like really overtly, and sometimes it's much, much more subtle. And Paul said, look, you've got to watch out for this. It can happen to a church as well. In fact, I believe that we're at a time right now in our nation, we're at a crossroads where there's this greater push than I've ever remember seeing for people from the outside to come in and to tell us as believers what we can share and how we can share it. I think it's unique. To our day, at least uh, over my lifetime. So how do we deal with this? Well, we remember what Paul is saying. We remember our purpose. We remember our focus. Our purpose here at Windover Hills is to help one more person find their way back to God. That's our purpose and our focus. So we stay focused on that purpose. And you have to do the same in your life. As God gives you focus and purpose, you got to focus on that, what God has called you to. And whatever he has called you to, you do it. It's simple as that. Paul also says, though, there's dangers that come from insiders as well. This is unfortunate. It's kind of sad, but danger that comes from insiders. He says, some will join in, then distort the truth in order to draw a following here. In my opinion, uh, the dangers that I see in the church world in America is the same thing that Paul's saying. There's sometimes when we focus, even well-intent, we focus maybe on one truth or one passage, and we build our church around it, there's danger as well that comes from that. Here's a couple that came to mind uh, this morning. One I think is, is a real danger is, is this prosperity gospel. And when I say that, I mean that when we focus on that if you trust Jesus enough, that he'll bless you wildly with finances in every way. He might, but he might not. The Bible never promises that if you give God all your resources, if you give God your resources, that he is going to bless you financially, at least not as we understand financial wealth uh, in our day. The blessing isn't always financial, is what his words say. It's in fact, there's a couple verses that talk about the blessing coming in greater persecution. But uh, if you start preaching that one, you thin the church out pretty well. So, um, but what the heck, maybe next week we'll walk through that. Another one is this. It's the tolerance gospel as well. It's a slight tweak, but it has a huge impact. That's where you say, you know what, we're all good people. We all love God. We're all going to the same place, no matter what we really believe about God or Jesus. It it really, it sounds so good on Facebook, you know, on Facebook chatter and cute little quotes and things like that. Um, It even sounds good sometimes at the workplace in conversation somebody saying something. But the problem is it just doesn't match up with the words of the Bible. Jesus said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So no matter who you are, you, you can't make it to heaven unless you accept Jesus Christ, unless you know him by faith. And you say, well, pastor, how could you be so intolerant? I didn't say it. Jesus said it. <laughs> you have to take it up with him, I guess. This is what Paul is talking about, these attacks from the inside. This can happen in your life as well. Attacks from the inside, from people that may, may be friends, who aren't quite lining up with what God has called you to be and what He's called you to do, and they may not speak the truth of God into your life, and you find it a challenge to hold on to it as well. You get off course. Thirdly, Paul talks about this danger, and I certainly have seen this in my own life. You probably can can relate as well. From inside us, it's a danger from inside. That's why he says, "Elders, keep up your guard." And that's a good message for all of us. We've got to keep up our guard because when we let our guard down, you know what? The attack of the enemy can hit us. It can hit us in all areas in the weakest point. Why did Nehemiah in the Old Testament leave his job as a cupbearer to go build a wall around Jerusalem? There had to be some more prestigious buildings he might have been able to build in Jerusalem. Maybe the temple, you know, uh, maybe a great school. I don't know. There's other things he could have built. Why? Well, because there's no protection if he didn't build the wall. If he didn't build the wall and spend his time, then everything else would have been built really in vain. So he built that wall for protection of the city. Same is true in our lives. We, we've got to put guards up in our lives because the attack can come often from inside of us. And let me tell you two ways. Uh, first of all, um, we find uh, that our already booked schedules... Sometimes we put Jesus into our already booked calendars with none of this going out, no shuffling out of anything, and we wonder, "Well, why is my Christianity really not thriving and going and get my jam-packed schedule with non-Jesus things <laughs> is so focused on my time that how do I put Jesus into those type of things?" Some of us don't understand too that when you're not a Christian, guess what? You're really neutral to the enemy. He doesn't care. You're not doing anything to hurt his kingdom. But the moment we say yes to Jesus Christ and we start building and growing in our faith, well, Satan, he's got to have like a little meeting and say, hey, whoa, this person is now doing something for God's kingdom. His antennas go up and he says, we got to get after that person. And the attacks come. In fact, I've been amazed over the year how many people that I have baptized just the next week or two face incredible spiritual attack in their life. So Paul is saying this to them, you've got to, be, you've got to be careful of these dangers. And then finally he says this, and I just want to fly through these here with you. He says there's several things that you need to understand will destroy your effectiveness in your purpose and in your witness. And here's what they are as he walks through this final passage. He says this, the first one, it's carelessness. And how do you overcome that? You've got to be alert. Paul's saying, look, for three years I never stopped warning you. Did you know that uh, I spent many years of my Christian life, in fact, probably why I I was youth pastoring you, Callie, is I spent many years of my Christian life pretending to kind of look the other way or see something in the distant when I would come up on a corner that had a homeless person that was asking for money or somebody that might be asking. I I did that for years and years, probably a decade or so. All of my time in Phoenix, I really did that. And it wasn't until really I stopped and started talking to some of those folks where I really started to understand the complexity of their situation and how complex it was to get out of that and to overcome that as well. And I thought, Lord, forgive me for ever putting a simple one-word response onto that as if saying, I can solve this just like this if they would only. I had to be alert and to see this and not be careless into what God was calling me to do. Secondly here, uh, this destroys our effectiveness, it's shallowness. And how do we overcome shallowness? We've got to be in God's word. Paul says this, verse 32, And now I trust you to God in the message of his grace that will be able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he set apart for himself. The good news is this. Statistics tell us that there are more evangelical, Bible-believing Christians today than any other time in American history, Right? man, those are great stats. Here's the bad news. There are more people who identify as Christians on a survey, but have no commitment to Jesus Christ whatsoever. Why is that? Well, one of the major reasons for a lack in commitment to Jesus Christ is we're not in his word. And if we're not in his word, how do we know how to apply his word? How do we know how to let his word transform us and renew us and make us different so that we can live with confidence as we talked about last week. Here's the next one is covetousness. And here we just we need to be content. Paul says in verse 33, I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. Why is Paul saying that to them? He's saying, look, you already have enough. You have what you need. You follow God's purpose and do what He's called you to do, and you don't need all these other things. Now, would it have been easier for Paul to have this gold or silver, fine clothes? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe it would have destroyed this witness. But he had to be content in what he had. Next is this we find, he says in verse 34 and 35 is laziness. We've got to be diligent, is how we overcome that, is what Paul is saying. Verse 34, you know that these hands of mine had worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. It says, you got to work at it. you got to go at it. Look, guess what? If your marriage is in trouble, um, i got nothing to tell you that will fix it today because it takes work. It takes a lot of work. I can give you words of hope. I can give you steps. I can show you God's word in, in areas that he calls us to be and how we're to live as Christians. And when two Christians living that way come together, good things happen. But man, it's work. It's work. I, I, really, I will tell you that I, I've been married 18 years, and I look at 18 years and I say, this has been a great 18 years. I, I would look and I would say that I, I, I would view us as, it's a great marriage. I really believe that. It's work. <laughs> it's work with Sheree. And so, Paul is saying, you've got to keep working at this. You want to reach out to your friends at work? You've got to work at it. You've got to work at it. You, you want to be a witness? You want to overcome an addiction that's in your life? You're going to have to work at that, too. But here's the great thing is, you don't have to do it in your own strength. That's what the Bible promises us, that there is one who goes before us and is our power and our strength. Finally, here's what Paul says. Uh, if we want to be effective and fulfill our purpose in life, we can't be selfish. We've got to be generous with our time, our resources, whatever. Paul says this in Acts 20:35. Uh, you should remember the words of of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This was an interesting thing I came across this week. According to the Foster newsletter, more Americans are willing to take uh, financial advice from Donald Trump. 50% of Americans a man whose companies, uh, on record of failing in bankruptcy at least four times, they're more willing to take a final financial advice from him than from the Bible. Only 32% said they would trust God's word. 50% they said they would trust Donald Trump. It's an interesting stat there. Now, you might say, oh, Tom, I mean, these are people outside the church. Who knows who they gave this survey to? Um, Did you know that the annual tithe rate among American Christians, um, giving the biblical concept of the 10%, is 32.8% of people? I would say the stats are are pretty well right on. But lest we make this just a money thing, Paul is saying we need to be generous, period. And always be generous, generous with our time. Sometimes just stopping and hearing the conversation from somebody is hurting is a huge gift that you have to give. When we don't give, selfish with our time, with our resources, with our energies, we can't be effective in our purpose. So here's what's the takeaway this morning. Two things to remember. Um, People usually follow purpose. If you're a person of purpose, if you're offering a purpose for your life, people tend to follow that. They gravitate to that. They want to hear more about that. If your purpose is sharing about Jesus Christ, then people tend to gravitate to wanting to hear about it. And then finally, knowing that you're an example, uh, not the exception. You're an example. Everything you do is an example. That means your time with your kids, uh, you're an example to them. You're not the exception. That doesn't mean you teach it into your kids, but it doesn't really apply to you. You're an example of all that you do. I teach it on Sunday morning. I keep telling you, go, reach people for Jesus Christ, but that's for you. I'm kind of an exception. I don't really have to do that. My job is to preach. No, it doesn't work out that way. You're an example, not the exception in that. So live it out, whatever it is, live it out. The book of Acts, in this chapter, verse, chapter 20, verse 36, it finishes off in this way. It says, when he, Paul we're talking about, had finished speaking, he knelt and bowed and prayed with them. And I want to do that for you right now. Father, I thank you for these folks. I thank you, Lord, that this morning I believe that there's probably people in here that are all different spectrums on what they think their purpose in life. Some have never even thought about the idea, and others, they think they have it nailed down uh, Well. And, Father, this morning, I, I want to ask that you would just draw us to your word and to the purpose you have for us. That, first of all, we would believe that you have created us and designed us for a purpose. We're not just another human being walking this earth. And then in that, Lord, this purpose that you would have us for, it does in some way glorify your kingdom. It glorifies who you are. And, Lord, I know for some it's, it's playing the music Lord, for some, it's, it's their conversation. And for some, it's how they care for people. Lord, that you have different gifts for that purpose. But Lord, I know your word draws us to something significant. And so Lord, I pray this morning that there wouldn't be anyone out here that wouldn't walk out and at least evaluate, at least ask the question, whether now, over lunch or this afternoon, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Where have I been? Where am I now? Where am I going and then, Lord, could they, could they put in an answer that would come from you, your word. We well, thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for what you'll do in the lives of, of all of us this week, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, amen. Well, the Lord bless you this week. I hope you have a, a great week. Uh, parents, hope you enjoy kind of the last week or two uh, with your kids, and then ship them off to school. Don't cheer too loudly when you send them off in your home alone. It doesn't make them feel very well. So, But I hope you enjoy that time. Maybe get a last trip in, last time, whatever. be great. So join us this week, Ice Cream Night. Uh, Diamond. I almost said Diamondback, my old Phoenix days. Here, Callie, you're getting me here. Um, grasshopper game on Friday night. Um, so we'd love to have you join us. Remember, this card right on the back, set up team, check it in just a minute, drop it, Uh, in the offering. We need a big crew that would uh, join us, and we'll spread out the work, but we need you to help out as well. So, sound good? All right. Our ushers are going to come through. They'll take our morning offering as well, so drop that in there, and uh, then let's stand. We'll sing one more.